As we've been going through our Wednesday worship services uh, this semester, we've been talking on this basic theme of the world turned upside down, meaning that our ways are not God's ways. As a matter of fact, as we take a look at some of the teachings of the Bible, they seem to be the exact opposite of the way the world in which we live and we by nature think. So tonight we're going to talk about how to be great. What is God's definition of greatness uh, in his kingdom? You, I'm sure, are all familiar with this expression, the greatest of all time, the goat, right? Now, I just want to talk to you a little bit about this because I want you to know that back in the 19s when I was growing up, goat was not a good thing. If you were called a goat, it meant that you were the object of scorn and ridicule. So I had to do a little research as to how this term goat got to mean the greatest of all time. I mean, I get the acronym, but does anybody have a guess? You know, there is an athlete, a fairly famous athlete, um, that really started this whole concept of the greatest of all time. I am the greatest, he said of himself. Do you know who said that? Muhammad Ali, right. Kind of started with Muhammad Ali, and then believe it or not, in about the year 2000, that was in the 1900s, that probably, uh, the, or 1980s, 1990s, that, that we started talking about Muhammad Ali as the greatest of all time. But then an album came out in the year 2000 or 2001 by hip-hop artist, rapper LL Cool J. Anybody recognize that name? Yeah, I know it's a little bit of a throwback, I get it. But he actually had an album called Greatest of All Time. And it was a nod to Muhammad Ali. And really, in the last 10 years or so is when we've started giving that label to certain athletes, other professionals who are considered at the top of their game. So much this has become a part of the way that we talk that did you know there was a Jeopardy tournament just not too long ago in which they tried to determine the GOAT, the greatest Jeopardy player of all time? Yeah, you want me to tell you who won? Spoiler alert. Okay, I won't tell you. But one of the three guys on the board won. How about that? Either, either uh, Ken Jennings or Brad Rutter or James Holtzeder. One of those three won. I won't tell you who, just in case you want to figure it out on your own. Spoiler alert, it was Ken Jennings. Okay, um, <laughs> obviously, the way the world defines greatness is not the way God defines greatness. As a matter of fact, the way God defines describes greatness is seemingly the exact opposite of the way our world wants to praise the MVP, the GOAT, the greatest of all time. And tonight we want to look at a couple sections from God's Word that demonstrate that. So I want to read some selected verses from Matthew chapter 20 for you. Here, here's what happens. Jesus concludes a parable by saying this, So the last will be first and the first will be last. A little while later we read this, then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him. What is it you want? He asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your kingdom. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
It's almost amazing as you take a look at this section, uh, the, the events of John and James' mother coming to Jesus started an argument among the disciples. An argument about who was the greatest. That we read in another gospel. But here on the heels of Jesus teaching a parable, it's the parable of the workers in the vineyard. He ends that parable with the first verse that we read. The first will be last and the last will be first. And then in the verses right before the request happens, right on the heels of that teaching, Jesus predicts his own death and resurrection, demonstrating how he was going to serve others with his very own life. And it's at that precise moment that the mother of James and John, Salome, decides to come to Jesus with her boys and say, uh, hey Jesus, I got a request for you. What I'd really love when everything gets set up in this kingdom that you're preparing is to give these positions of honor to my two sons, one on your right and one on your left. There was still a misunderstanding, wasn't there, among God's people that the Messiah was going to come and set up an earthly kingdom. But there's no mistaking what John and James' mother wanted for them. She was seeking glory. She wanted them to have positions of power, of authority, of greatness in the kingdom of God. When you read about the disciples' reaction, we read that they are indignant. And the Bible doesn't specifically tell us what they are upset about, but, but think about this. I suppose we could narrow it down to two reasons that they might have actually gotten upset. It's possible that they were upset because John and James seemed to have missed Jesus' point in the parable that he told and in what it means to be great, to be first instead of, or last instead of first. In my opinion, I think it's far more likely that they were upset that they didn't think of it first. That somehow James and John had beaten them to the punch asking for these positions of honor and glory when how come the other ten weren't considered for those positions? Whatever the case, Jesus uses this as a tremendous teachable moment for his disciples. He demonstrates to them that the exact opposite of the way that people think by nature is what is truly greatness. He flips upside down for us once again what the, uh, the world thinks in comparison with the way God operates. And so while the people of this world chase after who is the greatest of all time, Jesus says that's what the kings of the Gentiles do. They lord it over people. They exercise authority, but not so with you. Isn't it amazing how Jesus then defines for us greatness? He equates Greatness with service. Jesus knows how difficult this is for us. None of us wants to be the lowest person on the totem pole. None of us wants to be the person who has to serve everybody else. Not by nature. We want what we think is coming to us. We want glory. We want fame. We want to be recognized. And yet here comes Jesus saying, but that's not greatness in my kingdom. Here's the most amazing part. Jesus didn't just tell us that we, want, that we should be servants, that in order to be great, we should become the servants of all people. He demonstrated it. Jesus' very example of what it means to serve is described in that final verse of the Matthew, chap, Matthew chapter 20 verses we read. When he says this, The Son of Man did not come to earth to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
Jesus wasn't just talk, he was all about doing. And what he did proves that he truly is the greatest of all time. He was the greatest in God's eyes because he not only was willing to serve, he went so far as to earn our salvation by giving his life as a ransom for you and for me and for all people. The Apostle Paul picks up on these concepts that Jesus shares in Matthew chapter 20 as he urges us to be servants of all, as he urges us to live as Jesus wants, to be great in God's kingdom. He says this in Philippians chapter 2 verses 1 1 through 4. Therefore, if any of you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Those are tough words, aren't they? But we understand exactly what Paul's saying and what Jesus is saying too. If we want to reflect greatness, if we want to reflect what Jesus has done for us, then we want to serve just as Jesus did. The Apostle Paul in that Philippians passage says we view everybody as equals. Every single person in this world is a soul that's in need of a Savior. And every single person in this world is a soul for whom Jesus died. That includes you and me. Because God has elevated us to the status of his children, he's served us in such a way to claim us as his own, make us heirs of eternal life, Jesus demonstrates that we can elevate others, that we can put others before ourselves, that we can truly be servants of all as we look out not for our own needs, not for what's best for me, but what's best for others. That, Jesus says, is greatness. That's how to be great in God's kingdom. And when we strive to serve others, when we strive to live in such a way that we put others before ourselves, that highlights Jesus' love. It highlights exactly what Jesus has done for us, the ransom that he paid for the sins of the whole world. Jesus' encouragement for you and me tonight is to look Look for those opportunities that we have to serve. Look for ways that we can put other people before ourselves and in so doing, reflect the love of Christ for each one of us. Those are the couple takeaways I have for you from the message for tonight. First of all, Jesus reminds us that greatness is found in being a servant. I know this is the exact opposite of the way we think by nature and Jesus knows too. But he's given us himself. He's given us everything that we need so that we can truly look out for the needs of others. That's the second point. Jesus gave his life as a ransom for us so that we can freely serve others. We're liberated. We're free from sin and free to serve the people that God has placed around us and in our lives. I don't know. Maybe some of you got a chance to see this this week. Did you see this little thing this week? Yeah, that's... um, I was interested, not just that it happened. I mean, I don't know who was in charge of, of putting these, uh, these things together, but this appeared in a Target store in Minnesota earlier this week. And yesterday, Target came out and admitted that they had made a grave mistake. Grave mistake, right? And I thought to myself, 
is it really that awful? This is a collector's item. You want to run out and get one of these, right? The Minnesota Badgers t-shirt, right? And, and then I thought to myself, you know, this is really defining for me what it means to be a servant to all. We know the rivalry. You know the rivalry that exists between UW and the U of M, right? And, and thinking of being a servant to people who are on the other side of the fence, yeah, that's not easy to do, is it? But then consider this. The Bible tells us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how Jesus demonstrated his love for us. And so to be a servant of all means it doesn't matter what the other person thinks, what they look like, what they stand for. They are loved by God. And God wants us to be servants of all. My prayer for you and for me tonight is that that we can see every single person as valuable to God, souls that God has given us to serve, And in serving others, we'll truly understand what God defines as greatness, how to be great in God's kingdom. Amen.